Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 101 of x where we're going to be taking a little, uh, well, maybe not so much a pit stop, but we're going to be talking about an unofficial chapter of our Dawn of X books here. We're actually going to be talking about an issue of Deadpool, which I I think I threatened that a little while ago. I think when we talked about Deadpool's guest appearance in... Either, I think it was cable number three. Uh, I threatened to discuss this issue at the next available date on the calendar, and since I already had the lead up to 100 done, the next available episode slot for this was episode 101, so we are going to talk about that. But first, how about a little uh, history, my personal history with the character of Deadpool here? Um, I'll usually say things like, uh, you know, I was into Deadpool before it was cool, uh, because uh, I was one of the five people buying the old Deadpool stuff. The stuff that was always being threatened to get cancelled, the stuff that was always going up in price to try to counterbalance the low audience. And uh, it's just so weird that it's that it's so different now. That Deadpool is one of the... I mean, he's like a top-tier character now, where before... You know, nobody cared about this guy. Nobody wanted to buy the book. People thought the the fact that he had his own solo was kind of kind of weird, right? I mean, he got his own title while uh, you know the big four Marvel Universe books were shunted off to Heroes Reborn. You know, Deadpool was announced. Maverick got his own series. Uh, Volume two of Alpha Flight hit. Thunderbolts hit. I think there was a... Was there a Man-Thing story? Or was that just a Marvel team-up that featured Man-Thing early on? I can't remember which. Kazar, that Mark Wade Kazar came out. Very, very interesting time in bankruptcy-era Marvel where a lot of uh, a lot of odd little concepts were getting floated out there to see... Quicksilver! Quicksilver got his own damn series, and that was very, very bad. But uh, <laughs> it was just a very fun time. And I missed it. I was... This was during my hiatus um, from the comic shops, so I did not see this as it happened here. I came in about a year after. I think Deadpool was up to issue, I want to say 13 or 14 when I came back and when I was officially back in the comics fold here. But it was actually an issue of Deadpool that told me that back issue bins in Arizona in the late 90s were a lot different than back issue bins in New York in the early 90s. It was the first issue of Deadpool's ongoing series, the uh, wraparound cover where he was fighting I don't know if he was fighting Sasquatch, but Sasquatch was involved in this issue some at some at some point and was also on I think the back side of the cover cuz it was a wraparound. And I remember finding this in a uh, 
back issue bin at a place called Hero Comics, uh, the first place that I ever had a pull list, a pull box. And I found it in there. It was not bagged. It was not boarded. And I was just like, hey, how much for this one? And he, like, squinted a little bit, and he's like, oh, I think the cover price was $2.99. He's like, okay, $3. And I was just shocked because, A, this was a number one issue. B, this was an issue that came out over a year ago. It just seemed like this will be like a 5 or $10 deal because last time I darkened the doorway of a comic shop, that's the kind of situation I'd have been in, you know? When I left, if a book was more than two weeks old, it was bagged, boarded, and maybe doubled in price, uh, given a price tag of upwards of $5. It was very, very strange times. So to see the pendulum swing the other way was a, a delight, first of all. But second, it was just a, it was a sign to me that, hell, I can actually go back and pick up some issues that I missed. And I talked a little bit about this in a Chris's on Infinite Earths episode, I think it was where I talked about X-Force 71 when I was coming back to comics after my hiatus, and how I was bolstered by the fact that prices weren't going up on these books, and you could find six-month walls or year walls where you could pick up whatever was left over and do so at cover price, and, and a lot of the times they were pegged and boarded for you already. It was very, very strange. Culture shock, almost, going from... The heady, you know, Age of Apocalypse and before era to this weird post-bankruptcy, earnest, humble Marvel era. Very, very strange. But I was instantly taken with uh, this Deadpool series, this first ongoing, the Joe Kelly stuff, basically. And I uh, went back, bought everything I could, got everything except for issue... I think it was issue three. It had uh, Deadpool on the Hulk's shoulders and like kind of in a headlock. That one eluded me for a very long time. And then Marvel did this thing called Deadpool Month, where they put out like a Deadpool and Death Annual, because this is back when Marvel was doing these weird mix-franchised annuals. Like, we'd get X-Men Fantastic Four 1998 annual. You know, we'd get... Uh, Bastion and Machine Man annual. Very weird stuff. And Deadpool had Deadpool and Death annual. Also that month, we got something called the Encyclopedia Deadpoolica. And then Deadpool team-up with uh, featuring Deadpool and Whittle Wade, which was a tiny uh, Deadpool. And that one, it was like 1998, 1999. That one tied into Secret Wars 2. So very, very bizarre stuff. And those... Uh, those one-shots, uh, I was able to find two of them. Uh, Encyclopedia Deadpool Luka, I could not find for the life of me. I actually found it on a trip back to New York City. There was just a, a comic shop with a with a brown box full of uh, back issues that they didn't put away yet, and that one was laying right on top of it. I saw it from the street. I was like, oh, God, got to get that. So <laughs> that's where I got that one. Uh, that Hulk issue, Deadpool number three, I wouldn't get that... For probably, oh boy, like 15 years. I think I I found it in a half-price books not too terribly long ago. Um, probably within the past five or so years. And uh, they didn't mark it up. So I was able to get it for like two or three bucks or whatever it was. So I, I lucked out in that, uh, in that instance. It must have been like right before the movies hit. Because once the movies hit, forget about it. I mean, we had a shop here in Phoenix that... Uh, 
It was a good shop. It was a good shop, but they like never realized that it was no longer 1993. So like they still played by those old rules. Uh, they they catered a lot to professionals. They were in a very metropolitan area of Phoenix. You know, a lot of office buildings. A lot of professionals were there. So I don't know if it was they just knew their clientele, but they would mark things up. And I remember around the time of the Deadpool movie. I went in there, and they had every issue, like the first 40 issues of that Deadpool ongoing series on the wall. And the cheapest one there was like 20 bucks for a single issue. And they went into the triple digits, which absolutely blew my mind, because back in 1998, 1999, you couldn't give these books away. Nobody wanted them. It was just insane. But back to that ongoing, I followed it... Every single month. Loved it. Was nervous every time they raised the price of it a quarter because I'm like, oh, they're going to cancel it. They're going to cancel it. And it was always in that, that I don't know if we want to call it rarefied air, but it was in that air with uh, Christopher Priest's Black Panther and uh, Spider-Girl, the uh, MC2 DeFalco stuff. It was always like Deadpool, Black Panther, and Spider-Girl are up for cancellation, and then at the last minute, they'd pull back on it. It's like, okay, no, no, we'll, we'll let you keep them. But instead of paying two twenty five for it, you're paying two seventy five for it now, and uh, and then it'd be they do it again. It's like, oh well, okay, well no no, we'll let you have it, but it's going to go up to two ninety nine now. It was very very strange, but uh, eventually it did get canceled, um, or it got. I don't know if it got canceled so much as just rebranded. Um, we went through uh, the Joe Kelly stuff, then Christopher Priest came in and took over, and that was a lot of fun as well. Then we had uh, Frank Thierry. Uh, I believe it was Frank Thierry because he was writing like everything at Marvel at this point. But eventually we went through this weird phase where we were getting these four-issue miniseries that were part of the ongoing series. And they were plays off of the death of Superman and the return of the, uh, the reign of the Superman. Fun stuff, but a little... Some of the magic was gone. Um, I think like Buddy Scalera from Wizard Magazine was, in, was involved. Uh... Jimmy Palmiotti was part of this. It was... Some of the magic was gone. They announced Gail Simone was going to come onto the book. And this was one of her first big, you know, ongoing uh, mainstream breaks in comics, from what I can remember. But as she was on the book, they shifted from Deadpool to a book called Agent X. And the rumor on the internet was kind of strange at this time, because... This was one of those eras, one of the many eras, where uh, Marvel and Rob Liefeld were at odds. And in one fell swoop, they canceled X-Force, Cable, and Deadpool. And I think everybody's minds immediately went to the fact that Marvel was trying to somehow make it so Rob Liefeld couldn't claim royalties on, on something. That, that was what the, you know, the armchair lawyers and contract specialists on the internet uh, assumed, and for all I know, they were right. It was suspect. You know, Cable went away and became Soldier X. Uh, Deadpool went away and it was replaced by Agent X. X-Force went away and was replaced by X-Statics. It's weird that these Liefeldian properties are all changing. Uh, <laughs> all in one fell swoop. But Agent X was weird. Uh, very strange. Uh, it's been... I only read it once when it was coming out. It wasn't Deadpool. It wasn't as fun as Deadpool. But uh, after Agent X ended, because it only lasted about a year, Deadpool went away for a bit. I think this was 
you know, part of the uh, we're too smart and we're too cool for 90s characters era. Like, you didn't see... You didn't see, like, uh, you didn't see Cable very much. You didn't see Deadpool very much. You didn't see Carnage. You know, you'd never see Carnage. All the biggies from the 90s, you just really wouldn't see. And, uh, I mean, we got over that, and, of course, they're back, and I don't think we see a cover... I don't think there's a week that goes by where we don't have somebody venomized on a cover of a book. You know, I think that's... The worm... The worm has certainly turned. But Deadpool would go away. There would eventually be Cable and Deadpool, a team-up buddy series, which was a lot of fun. Fabian Niciesa was involved in that. Uh, I believe he wrote the entire thing. It was a lot of fun. I remember enjoying that quite a bit. But then Deadpool went away again. I want to say there was an arc in Wolverine that like kind of reintroduced Deadpool. And then he finally got his own ongoing series Right around the time of Secret Invasion. I think the first few issues were actually branded Secret Invasion. This was written by Daniel Way, who, like Frank Thierry before him, was like writing a whole bunch of stuff all at once. Marvel does that a lot. They'll find someone who they like, and they'll just hand the keys over. It's like, okay, you want to write 15 books this month? Do it. And, I mean, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's not such a good thing. I wasn't a fan of Daniel Way's work. I felt it was very, very slow. Um, one thing, when you write Deadpool, you kind of have to be funny. And we talk about humor a lot on this program and how not very many people have it. I don't think Daniel Way had it. So it was a toughie, and I didn't stick around with it very long. Clearly, I was the minority opinion here because from here, Deadpool kind of blew up. There were times where it was like he had like three or four ongoing series at once. To the point where Marvel actually had to do a little gimmick where they had people vote on which one they wanted canceled because there were too damn many. Very weird stuff here, but I was not involved in any of that. Um, I'd pick it up here and again if the cover would look good to me. Um, I know there was a it was a bit during the Utopia X Men uh, era where there was a cover with Deadpool in a in an X-Men costume, like a classic X-Men costume. So I grabbed that one, I remember. I remember grabbing a few around that era, but didn't really come back for a long term. And after that, my timeline starts to conflate, because the book we're going to discuss today is actually Volume 8 of Deadpool. I mean, that's, that's a lot of damn volumes, isn't it? So, which means there's a lot of damn relaunches here, so I can't keep them all straight. I know for the Marvel Nows and the all-new Marvel Nows and all that stuff, they folded some S.H.I.E.L.D. elements into it, which I... That's Kristenite. I don't touch S.H.I.E.L.D. I hate S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. is absolute Dullsville to me, so... It is what it is, I guess. But I know Jerry Duggan, who is just killing it on Marauders and Cable right now, he was involved with that. Uh, Brian Pazayan, the, uh, the comedian, was involved in that. I think they were co-writers, and... It was funny. There was good stuff in there, but there was also S.H.I.E.L.D., and I can't do S.H.I.E.L.D. Sorry. (laughs) Back in the 90s, I could do S.H.I.E.L.D. because they'd show up very seldom. During Marvel Now, you couldn't go two or three pages in any given Marvel book without seeing Maria Hill's face. So, couldn't do it. Dropped out. And uh, I want to say that was probably the last that I'd ever dip my toe into the, uh, the Deadpool I'd never seen the movies. You guys know I don't do the movies, so I don't have any comment or uh, opinion on them. There is a Deadpool video game, which looks kind of interesting. I haven't played it. Maybe one of these days I will, but that kind of gets us to where we are now. 
with volume 8 of Deadpool, where he is, as we found out in Cable number 3, he is the king of Staten Island. This is a place I used to uh, call home, but I never in a million years thought I'd be picking up and reading another issue of Deadpool. Here we are. <laughs> Let's see how it goes here. Let's get right into it. I'll stop yapping because I've wasted enough of your time with my nonsense. Let's get into Deadpool, volume 8, number 6, which had an October 2020 cover date. This issue is untitled. It's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Kevin Labranda. Colors, Chris Sotomayor. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino. Edits, a whole different editorial office. Lindsay Kohick, Jake Thomas, and C.B. Sobolski, of course. Cover price, $3.99, and went on sale August 5th of 2020. Now, we open with a single-page spread of creds, which... (laughs) I mean, we're starting off on a good foot already. Uh, But this page actually gives us a little bit of a rundown on what's been going on in Deadpool's life of late. You see, monsters took over my former stomping grounds of Staten Island, New York, because they had a legal claim, an ancient legal claim, you see. Deadpool managed to defeat the King of the Monsters, which somehow made him the new king. It actually sounds like a fun little story, and to be honest, I'm sort of kicking myself for, you know, being lapsed on it. Maybe I'll change my mind as we work our way through this issue, eh? So let's just get to it. We open with Deadpool playing a sort of Pokemon or Magic the Gathering sort of a card game against a monster called the Nightwolf. There's also this ridiculously adorable shark-type Pokemon looking on. And, uh, I mean, I'm not a plushie collector or anything, but I kind of want this thing. His name is Jeff, by the way. Anyway, this is a really good scene. It's it's a very humorous scene. Um, you see, all these cards they're playing with are based on the monsters. So it's like Monsters the Gathering, I guess. Now, Deadpool is playing against Nightwolf, and he's actually playing with a Nightwolf card, right? Now, Nightwolf, the character, is using a card of something called Hurl, which looks like a like a wad of protoplasmic vomit. You know, if... if If we were to compare it to Pokemons, and I only know like five of them, I'd say it's kind of like a ditto. Now, Nightwolf feels that he's won this hand, because the Hurl card would win the hand. But Wade's like, hey, does that mean that in real life, Nightwolf would lose to Hurl? So, Nightwolf concedes and Wade wins the hand. And I absolutely destroyed the joke, so I I apologize for that. But it's a really, really cute scene here. I, I did laugh during it. Now, Wade keeps flipping through his cards until he realizes that there's one monster in the area who might just be able to help him with something he'd really like to do. He then hops onto a stage to give a long monologue, but it's a funny one. You see, he sets the record straight that regardless of how many people seem to think that he, Deadpool, is a mutant, that he's actually not. And I mean, well, we, the X-lapsed folks here, we know that, but we're not common folks. Seriously, though, I, I love this, because so many people automatically assume that since Deadpool is, you know, tied up with X-Men history, that he's automatically a mutant. You know, I've heard people say that Juggernaut's a mutant. You know, it's anybody who's involved with the X-Men is automatically labeled a mutant. I've actually seen writers of this character make this mistake. Uh, I was kind of to the point where I thought Marvel would never make a one-way-or-the-other statement on it. But then, you know, mutants equal movies Marvel doesn't want to see succeed, so yeah, let's do it. What's the point of all this? What is the point of this monologue? Well, Deadpool's kind of hurt that his pals in the X-Men wouldn't invite him to Krakoa. Hell, the X-Men don't even have a Krakoan gateway on Staten Island. 
We, or I, learn, also learned during this monologue that Wade Wilson's cancer is returned, which I wasn't expecting. I don't know if that has something to do with the movies. Maybe that's something, maybe that's a plot thread in the movies? I don't know. Anyway, the main takeaway from this monologue for, from Wade's inner circle is that uh, the X-Men are jerks. And yeah, they, they can be. Elsa Bloodstone, the sister of Cullen Bloodstone, who we saw not too long ago in the pages of Excalibur, is the one to make this assertion. So now what's the plan? What are we doing here? Well, there's a monster on this island. Remember, Wade was flipping through those cards. There's a monster on this island named Jelby, who looks like a sort of humanoid-shaped walking jello dessert. Thing of it is, Jelby also happens to be a mutant. Now, if Wade can climb inside Jelby and, like, wear him as a skin, yes, really, then it stands to reason that Deadpool can pass through a gateway to Krakoa. Well, yeah, I suppose it does. And so Wade climbs into Jelby's mouth. As he does, however, Jeffrey the Landshark hops in and chomps on Deadpool's butt. So, looks like he's got a literal hanger-on for this journey. We jump ahead 26 minutes exactly, and uh, Wade in jello clothing passes through the Krakoan Gateway in Washington Square, Manhattan. Bada-bing, bada-boom. It worked. Yeah, it worked. Well, that was kind of easy. Deadpool then awkwardly climbs out of Chelby's Maw, which triggers an alarm to go off at Sage's place. She freaks the F out, because there are two, Wade and Jeff, unauthorized non-mutant breaches. Seconds later, Deadpool is surrounded by a fairly elite group of X-Men. Now, there's no actual roll call page in this issue, but let's do one anyway. We got Wolverine, Storm, Magic, Beast, Polaris, and Armor. So, yeah, pretty elite. Now, they interrupt Deadpool, who's making grass angels. You know, like snow angels, but in the grass. The X-Men want answers, and uh, boy, Wade's got some. He uses the word fascist a lot to describe the X-Men, which I hope is a commentary on how often people who don't know what that word actually means like to throw it around in conversation. Magic responds by, well, elbowing him in the nose, bloodying him up real good. She, like me, finds his little shark pal very, very cute. Deadpool from here is sent to chat up Emma Frost. And so, next stop, the Quiet Council. Jeffrey the Land Shark rushes right into Emma's lap. She's quite taken with him, as well she should be. Though, she says he reminds her of a dangerous handbag with teeth. Fair enough. Emma says that Rogue had made a plea on Wade's behalf to allow him passage on, Tr- on Krakoa, seeing as though A, he's now a world leader, you know, he is the king of Staten Island, and B, he's a frequent sorta of kinda of pal of the X-Men. Deadpool goes to interject, but Emma warns that She's about to agree with what Rogue said, so our man clams up. At this point, our hero gets a little bit cocky and basically asks for, well, everything. He'd even like his own version of Summer House on the moon. Emma says no, while Jeffrey purrs in her lap. Deadpool asks why, to which Emma suggests that they ran the numbers, and they've deduced that the likelihood that Wade would wind up actually destroying Krakoa is something like 97%, which sounds about right. Deadpool goes back to calling the X-Men fascists. Which, yeah, I mean, it's gotta be a commentary on people who don't actually know what that word means, right? Uh, We jump five minutes ahead, where Deadpool plucks a single Krakoan flower from the Krakoan flower fields. He's taking it home with them, and ain't nobody gonna stop him. Well, about that. Here come that elite group of X-Men to stop him from doing that. 
From here, we get four pages of mostly fun fighting. And it's hard to synopsize a fight scene, but there are a lot of cute bits to this, including Jeffrey the Landshark getting involved in biting a few people, Polaris especially. Deadpool tells the X-Men that they're terrible, to which Magic's like, hey, then why are you even here? Deadpool responds in a very human way. He just lets it be known that he doesn't like the fact that he was excluded. And yeah, I I get those feels, brother. Rogue arrives on the scene to de-escalate the situation. I think she and Wade had crossed paths somewhat recently during the Mr. and Mrs. X series, which I have been picking up in bits and pieces for an eventual Mr. and Mrs. X lapsed Sunday special series, and I think, if I'm remembering right, I think Kelly Thompson wrote that as well. I could be mistaken, though. Anyway, she tells Wade to simmer down, and even hands him that single Krakoan flower to take home with him. Deadpool dumps the flower, claiming that he doesn't want anybody's pity. Well, that's where we differ, Wade. I'll take pity every day of the week. Now, Wolverine steps in to suggest that this isn't pity, it's friendship. Nah, Deadpool's fed up. He's like, hey, I'm bleeding an awful lot here for being surrounded by friends. He calls for Jelby and says, eh, we're going to hit the bricks here. We're going home. But not so fast, Wade. Jelby, a mutant, has decided to remain on Krakoa. So, hey, we got ourselves a new citizen. How about that? Magic then soul sword, hoodoo, warps, Wade and Jeff back home. Deadpool departs, proclaiming that the X-Men are fascists again. We wrap up back on Staten Island, where Wade is sitting on a dock working on a little project. He's joined by Jeffrey the Landshark, who coughs up that single Kirkoan flower. He then passes a new law for Staten Island, presenting a handmade sign which reads, wait for it, no more mutants. The issue closes with Elsa Bloodstone revealing that she's dying, but that's something for another show to worry about. We're done here. (laughs) Next episode, Hellions number four. But how about we talk about this issue here, and uh, I guess I can start by saying, well, hell, I guess I gotta start buying Deadpool now? Come on. Damn it, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to have so much fun with this. I honestly wasn't expecting to have any fun with it. As I said earlier, I thought my I was like past the Deadpool stage of my life, but I guess not. This issue was an absolute blast, and a really strong unofficial chapter for Dawn of X. I wish it actually got Dawn of X branding, because it's it's really a good addition to the Dawn of X uh, story. And I can't, I can't even say that this is mindless fun, because that's, that's actually what I thought was going to be the most positive thing I could say going in. I thought it's like, oh, at least I can say it was mindless fun, but no. There's a lot of depth here. This is just flat-out fun. Not mindless in the slightest, just really, really fun. I mean, really, what an unexpected delight this was here. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about Wade and his feels here. Um, There's such a sadness here, like a relatable sadness, at least for a softy like myself here. He's upset at the X-Men, not because he feels like he belongs with them. He doesn't even really seem to like them very much. He's just hurt that he wasn't included in their latest evolution. And, you know, I get that. I, I often have feelings just like that, even for, you know, unimportant things like uh, like this podcasting hobby. I, you can feel excluded. It's easy to feel excluded. Um, so, yeah, Deadpool's frustration, his questioning his value, his sadness, it kind of resonates with me. I, I mean, that could just be a Chris thing. But I think this was really, really well done. It has that... Uh, 
you know, that nebulous quality that we talk about on this show sometimes, which you can't define. It's, it's heart. And this has it. This really, really does. I thought the Staten Island bits were actually funny. And as a guy who normally couldn't care less about monster stories, this was another happy surprise. Um, the Monsters the Gathering card game was cute, as was Wade's way of winning his hand by appealing to you know, Nightwolf's ego. Uh, Jelby was a fun device to get Wade to Krakoa, and I think it's really neat that we wrap up this issue with a new Krakoan citizen. Makes it feel like this issue really matters. And I wonder if Jelby will show up in the background of a scene or two uh, in the official Dawn of X uh, books. Heck, you know, maybe he has already, and I just didn't notice it, because, you know, he's just a, a blob, and we see those from time to time in the background. And, of course, we have Jeffrey the Landshark. I mean, what can I say? Um, I hope there's a lot more of him in this volume of Deadpool, because he's just awesome. And uh, he's, the, the, he's just adorable. He was drawn to be adorable, which I guess is a decent enough segue to go over to Art. I thought the art for this issue was perfectly suited uh, for the story and the tone. Uh, very clean, um, bordering on cartoony, but not to the point where it doesn't feel right. Um, it's worth noting, in my research for this volume of Deadpool, one of my very favorite comics artists in the world is one of the artists for this volume, Chris Bocciolo. So I guess that kind of seals the deal on whether or not I'm going to pursue this series, doesn't it? Well, damn. Um... Let's see, what else here? I do have one complaint. One complaint. If we look at the cover, Cyclops is there. Made me hopeful that he'd, uh, you know, also be in the book. He's not. And, you know, <laughs> this just came to mind here. I actually have two complaints. Now, we saw in Marauders number 11, uh, during Kitty Pride's funeral, that uh, there was a certain Agent X hanging out on the island. So I think it would have been neat... If they cross paths, maybe showed up for a beat here. Uh, that's it, though. Everything else about this issue was an absolute delight. And for what it's worth, for what my opinion's worth, Deadpool number 6 gets a very high X-Labs recommendation. I don't think you can go wrong with this. If you are Deadpool curious or Deadpool friendly, this is a... I think you'll really, really enjoy this issue. Now, before I let you guys go, how about we hop into the mailbag here? We have a couple of X-Lapse 100 messages here that we'll get to first. And then we have a couple uh, of our normal sort of mailbag material that we'll get to after that here. We're going to start with a message from our friend Andrew in Belfast regarding X-Lapse 100. He says, just quick email into the show for the centenary edition. I was so glad to see you announce that you were delving into the X-Books on a new show. It's hard to believe a hundred episodes have flashed by in the interim period. I'm currently catching up on some episodes from over Christmas and New Year, but I think I can safely say that your show was the entertainment highlight for 2020. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's amazing. That is that's a really nice thing to say. Thank you. Andrew continues. As we hit 2021 and we seem to be wading deeper into madness out there in the real world, I've decided to try and kick my social media habit and I've deleted my Twitter account at least until the end of January. I'm going to spend the time wasted on that toxic platform and I only follow comic book accounts, opting instead to dedicating that scrolling time to one of my true passions in life, the X-Men books. I'm glad to have your show as a guide to focus this additional time around. Well, that means a lot to me as well here. Um... I've said it before, and I'm sure I'll say it again. The, the companionship of this little community we have here is just, is just phenomenal. I love the fact that we're, we're all in this together. It's really, really cool. 
Andrew continues, I first got into comics in and around the launch of that Jim Lee book, issue one, at the start of the 90s. This year, about 30 years on, I'm trying to center my comics hobby back on a more offline basis, trying to enjoy it the way I used to, uninfluenced by what's hot and what's not, and instead reading the books alongside your show as a book club. We will have fun regardless of the quality of the books, and get a laugh over some of the more ridiculous issues while appreciating the new lease on life that Hickman has given to the titles. I've somewhat resigned myself to the fact that I'm a late-stage Gen Xer, a slacker who is no longer going to be fully in tune with the modern Zeitgeist or Zeitgeist, however you say that word. But, and I mean this in the best possible way, you are fully on my wavelength with how you talk about the books. Although not the slacker part. Well, I wouldn't be so sure about that part. I am I am quite the slacker when I, uh, when I can get away with it, for sure. And I love the idea, and I envy the idea of uh, tuning out to outside influences and just enjoying these books the way we used to as kids. Um, one of my... Since I started doing this content creation stuff for comics on the internet uh, some five years ago, one of the uh, one of the nicest memories I have of putting together a program was for one of the last episodes of The Cosmic Treadmill. And we talked about, it was an X-Men book we were talking about. We were talking about the X-Trader. We were talking about uh, Uncanny X-Men 287. You know, Bishop had just come back. He saw that recording from Jean Grey warning of a traitor inside the X-Men. And uh, Reggie and I went through that issue and we went through the whole mystery. But one of the things about that episode, and I may have mentioned this before, but one of the things that made that episode special was the fact that I didn't use any... I didn't use the internet for it at all. I didn't use a wiki. I didn't use anything. Didn't Google anything. I used all hard materials. I used magazines. I used back issues. I used physical media to research that entire thing because I wanted it to feel like we were like learning this mystery as it went. And what better way to do that than to actually do it the way we did it back in the 90s? So much fun. Such a special memory of uh, creating content where you are able to unplug and it just feels so much more special when you do it that way. I mean, I was going through, I had a pile of wizard magazines and overstreet fan magazines, every sort of fan magazine I, I could find in my closet. I pulled out and I went through every single one of them to see if there was any mention of the X trader, even just a letter from a reader. I went through years worth of X-Men comics looking in the back in the back of them for the letters pages seeing if there was any mention of the X-Trader because I was just making sure I had everything there such a good time and I envy <laughs> I envy the ability to go back and just do it that way because it's it really really is special now Andrew wraps up with here's to another 100 episodes and I'm keen to see how the show develops until Wolverine stops drinking Kitty Pride's imported Canadian beer, make my next laugh. Well, thank you so, so much. That means a lot to me that you'd write in and uh, say such kind things about this little program. But thank you. Uh, next, Chris Bailey has some comments about x 100. He says, A huge congrats on 100 shows. You managed the impossible. You got me to read the X-Men and current X-Men at that. A fun suggestion would be to, to include a cartoon episode of an X-Men-related cartoon show or episode or X-Men and other media show that would make a fun addition to this show. 
I really enjoyed the tangent shows, which took a detour from the main series. Yes, I'll openly admit to loving Major X Lapsed. <laughs> you and you alone, unfortunately, my friend. <laughs> it seems, anyway. Um, I, I love the idea of uh, the cartoon show because I do have something in the works for that because that is something I am also lapsed on. I was going to do a Pride of the X-Lapsed episode, so maybe sooner than later, because I never saw Pride of the X-Men, so maybe sooner than later we'll get there. Uh, Chris continues, here's to another hundred episodes. He goes, you know, if you did really, if you did very old X-Men issues, like the originals or those you didn't get a chance to read before your beginnings of being a fan, you could do a spinoff called X-Relapsed. Well, yeah, there is something, uh... X-Lapsed Relapsed is something that is on the to-do list. So hopefully, hopefully before long I can discover the four or five extra hours of the day I'll need. And uh, we'll get on that. Because there are so many X-Men books I want to discuss here. And now, I mean, after reading this issue, there's so many Deadpool books I'd like to talk about too. I mean, I'd love to go back to Whittle Wade and talk about Secret Wars too. And boy... Just not enough hours in the day or days in the week. But thank you so, so much, brother, for uh, for writing in and uh, and saying such kind things. Now let's hop into the mailbag proper here. We're going to start with Damien, and he's talking about Giant Size Phantom X, which we talked about, I don't remember when, right after Christmas we talked about that, yes. Now he says, this is an issue I skipped because of my dislike of Phantom X. Somehow I missed the fact that it was drawn by Rod Reese. I'll have to try and get a hold of it, as it's the kind of book I have to have physically. Digital doesn't do justice to art books. And, I mean, we could talk about Rod Reese all day, can't we? He is just a phenomenal artist here. And uh, definitely get this one physical if you can, because it's it's gorgeous. It's just a... It's... it's I mean, it's weird to call art art, but it, it's, it's truly art. It's beautiful stuff. Damien continues... Phantom X was one of my least favorite elements of the Morrison run. In fact, I would say that outside of Cassandra Nova and Kid Omega, the weakest parts of their run was the antagonists. When I remember Morrison's run favorably, I'm thinking of the interaction between the X-Men and the reappraisal of mutant culture, and not the villains. Like you, I would rate Assault on Weapon Plus as one of the weakest stories, and I always considered the world to be a bit of a nonsense idea. I see why you relate it to Danny the Street. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, and I mean, I mean, I mentioned this during that episode. Phantom X, outside of his really cool look, because I do think he has a very cool design, um, I always... Like, you ever have that character that you see and you think you should like them more than you do? Like, uh, like the Shazam Captain Marvel. I look at him and it's like, ah, I should really like that, that, that character. I should really enjoy his stories. And then I read one of them and it's like, eh, it's not really for me. And I feel bad about it. Uh, we talked not too long ago about Colossus during the 90s. You know, I came into the X-Men books during the 90s. Colossus is an awesome-looking character, but they had bungled him to the point where he was unbearable. So it's like, I really should like this guy, but I don't. Phantom X is the same way, but in a 21st century kind of way, I suppose. I think he's a really cool concept, really cool look, but you know, then you have to turn the page, and you have to tell a story. And the world is, like you said, a nonsense idea. It's very much Danny the Street uh, in a lot of different ways here. It's, you know, I called uh, I called this issue Baby's First Grant Morrison book because it's kind of what it read like. Now, Damien continues. 
Either me or Jonathan Hickman has misunderstood the world. I thought the world was meant to speed up time. If Phantom X, Phantom X was visiting every ten years, then surely his twin would be considerably older than him. Also, I thought the key that Phantom X himself grew up in the world, and that was how he could have been a baby when he was taken by the Weapon Plus pro people three experiments after Wolverine. Because, of course, Morrison made Weapon X into Weapon 10, uh, but to be an adult at an accelerated rate. If I read Morrison correctly, then Phantom X couldn't be present during World War II. Of course, they did establish that Phantom X lied a lot about his history, so maybe a later writer retconned that. You're right, though, this is worth buying the book just for Rod Reese. He is an artistic genius. And yeah, that's kind of my main takeaway, too. Not the Rod Reese stuff, because of course we... We, we agree on him 100%, but Phantom X here, I think my main takeaway was that uh, it's the old Marvel chestnut of everything you thought you knew was wrong, but on purpose, because Phantom X is a liar. And I, I think that kind of works in a way. I mean, that is, that's actually a semi-interesting character trait for him, um, but it's... I mean, it just it just reminds you of like a real jerk, but like a jerk with charisma and charm. But do you really want to read about that guy, like as a focal point? I don't know. And the world, I mean, I don't know what the world is. It's been ages since I went back to Assault on Weapon Plus. Um, I know I have a Phantom X Max miniseries that I read years ago. I know he was part of X Force. I know he's got like that weird nervous system Ava or EVA or whatever. I just gloss over when I see Phantom X. I, I guess it doesn't make me a good tour guide for a Phantom X-themed episode, issue, but uh, hopefully he'll be somewhat bearable during uh, Giant Size Storm that uh, is coming up in just a few episodes. So stay tuned for that. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Damien. It's always great to hear from you. Next, Evan Bevins, our pal, is talking about New Mutants number 11. He says, great minds think alike, or at least we do. I liked the Carnelia story, but it felt like two issues spread out over three. And I also thought, as Danny spoke against altering Cosmar's memories, hey, are they going to be doing this as a counterpoint to X-Force, or is it just coincidence? But, as you talked about the possible relation to what happened to Domino, I remembered something that popped into my mind in X-Force number nine. Now here is uh, another Evan Bevan's theory here, which... Just like his previous few is really, really spot on and very, very interesting food for thought. Here we go. He says, what if Domino wasn't altered at all? What if her detachment from her last trauma, she said something like she felt it happened to someone else, is evidence of Nightcrawler's question about whether the resurrectees really are the same people? Does the soul resurrect with them? Very, very interesting, isn't it? That's a heck of a take there because we don't know yet. We don't know yet, and especially since they just announced a few days ago that there's going to be a Nightcrawler-focused series called Way of X where we might start getting some answers about this stuff. We might get might get a little bit more insight about the resurrection process, about things like souls, you know? I think that's going to be an interesting thing here. Evan continues... Dan Slott touched on the differences between cloning and resurrection in the Clone Conspiracy crossover a few years ago. I miss that. I miss that because... uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Clone Conspiracy was the one where, like, the main ongoing books were the tie-in issues, 
and the miniseries were the main story, right? Like, it wasn't like Exitens that we're going into here where every issue of an ongoing series is a chapter of it. It was more like all the issues of Amazing Spider-Man were a side story, and you had to buy something altogether different to follow the clone conspiracy. Am I, am I thinking of the right thing here, or is that like one of the 55 Spider-Verses that they've done over the past few years? It's one of those. But I think I, I definitely missed out on the clone conspiracy. Back to Evan here. I doubt that Marvel Editorial is comparing notes on his take in Hickman's, and as much as I like continuity, I'm not sure a several years old Spider-Man story should hamstring Hickman's X-Plants. But still, it's an interesting question. Maybe it feels like all of Domino's trauma happened to someone else because, for all intents and purposes, it did. Excellent theory. Excellent theory, and I'd love to hear other people's thoughts on that theory because it's it's a good one. It's a real good one here because... We can't explain what's going on here. We don't know about things being altered. We've talked about people acting differently. And I'm trying, you know, when Evan sent this to me, I was trying to picture everybody sitting at the Crucible. You remember the Crucible, of course, X-Men number seven. And there was a crowd of people. And I was trying to think of, like, were all of those people resurrectees? Because if they were... Evan's theory might come into play here. Like, we're seeing a Cyclops, a Wolverine, a, I think Strong Guy was there. It's like, but we're not seeing the real ones. We're seeing these new versions of them who don't have the same connective tissue, right? There isn't the same cohesion that uh, the older pre-death ones might have. The social mores of a resurrectee might be different. Than that of one that had never died So I wonder I wonder and I, I meant to dig the book out Before doing this one But I, I didn't get to Maybe, I, maybe I'll we'll revisit this down the line here We'll pull out the Crucible issue And go through all the characters in the crowd And see if they're all resurrectees So definitely Very interesting food for thought Thank you so much for sharing that with us Evan it, it, It's always a pleasure hearing your, uh, hearing your takes It's awesome Next up, our friend Pat Sampson's talking about Countdown to Extermination, the current Sunday special series where we're looking at the Extermination miniseries. We're calling it Exlapsedination because I'm not creative. Now, he says, first off, great episode. I've been listening to all the Exlapsed episodes and following along with this, on the stories through you. I will be starting to read along with, with you when you get to X of Swords. Each episode you've released, I bump on my podcast to listen to list. So for this episode, about the five post-credit page gimmick, it reminds me of the one or few panels we saw at the end of the Superman books when Doomsday was coming. I remember having to hunt them down to make sure I had the beginnings of the big event. You gotta give them credit for trying to find ways to build the hype. Well, not much, not much more for me to say on this. I hope to read on more. Keep on the excellent work. Yes, pun intended. I am listening. Excellent point. Excellent point. These were... Very much like the uh, the Doomsday is Coming pages. Yeah, that, that, which kind of shoots a hole right into my argument that they were a waste of time. Because I loved those. I loved the Doomsday is Coming uh, uh, little page, the, the one page. The, what, I don't know if we call them a post-credit sequence back then, but uh, the teasers. The one-page teasers where he's punching his way out of his containment unit or wherever the hell he was. But, uh... Yes, we could definitely look at these five pages as being similar to that. Absolutely. 
So great, great call, and thank you so much for listening to the Sunday Special Series here. I never know how those go because I don't usually hear a whole lot about them. So uh, it's really, really cool to know that you're listening to uh, to the, uh, the old Sunday Special. So thank you so, so much. Next, we're going to wrap up with Andrew Franklin, who's talking about X-Factor number two. Okay. Andrew says, I pretty much agree with your reaction to X-Factor number two. This book was very disappointing to me and made me question whether my positive experience with the first issue was just a fluke. Yes. <laughs> yes, I agree. thought the first issue was really good. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun, a really cool way to introduce these characters and bring them all together and set about this new premise, right? Issue two, uh, maybe not. Andrew continues, I would consider myself a fan of the Claremont Nocenti module world, but it felt odd that after a very grounded murder investigation setup issue, we jump straight to Mojo world. Northstar lets out a, sla- a sigh when he hears that that's where the plot's taking the team, and I did too. It's just not what I wanted, which isn't enough to make me angry or consider this bad. It was just disappointing. That said, I'm not a fan of this version of Mojo World, even though I think this is absolutely what Mojo World in 2020-2021 should be. Like you, I'm probably just too old not to be annoyed by the streaming-slash-social-media focus. I already get turned off with how much of the internet culture seeps into modern books, and how some authors write dialogue that sounds like everyone speaking in tweets, so I would like to spend as little time in this version of Mojo World as possible. Yeah, I think that's it, right? We're just too old. (laughs) We are somehow the target audience of this book and too old to be the target audience of this book. Well, maybe we're not the target audience, but we are the audience of the book, really. Um, I'm right there with you. As we get into, like, weird bits of internet culture... Maybe I'm just clinging on to whatever youth I have left and I'm just annoyed that I don't get some things. I, I don't know, but I was very... Very turned off by this issue. Like you said, can't get mad at it because it is what it is. And can't say it's bad because it's for someone that isn't me. But uh, I wish it was for me and it's not. Um, Andrew continues, I still enjoyed David Baldion's art here. I like how the characters look and I actually like the new costumes, except for those stylized X's. I really like how powerful Leia Williams shows Rachel to be, and I like how she writes North Star, but I think Dakin, Dakin, is a complete waste of page space. You know, I've one of my main criticisms has been David Baldion's work here, and uh, as I flip through this issue again, because I flip through this issue many times because anytime I read a book and I don't like it, I get that weird, is it just me in the back of my head? <laughs> and I worry. So I go over through things again and again and again. And his art grew on me as I uh, as I went through it here. It is very stylized. It's very um, different. Not my favorite, but I, I'm not mad at it. You know, I think when I first looked at it, I was just like, oh, goodness. But uh, I, I came around to it. I can... I can tolerate it. It's it's okay. And there are some panels that he actually absolutely knocks the socks off, right? There are some facials that he does that are just amazing. But then there's some weird angular stuff that kind of gets just under my skin a bit. Um, North Star, I, I really like the way North Star is being portrayed here. Uh, everybody outside of the weird internet speak and the, I don't know, millennial presentation... 
I like these characters. Uh, even even Dak and Dakin. Um, I think he's. I think he'd be a lot of fun if maybe they turn the dial on him down from fifteen to eleven. You know, I mean, he's over the top. He's an over the top character, and that could be a lot of fun. I mean, Wolverine himself was an over the top character back in the day, just in a different way. You know, we talked about him swiping at Nightcrawler with the claws out. That's kind of a, a homicidal thing to do. That's a little over the top. So I can, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with over-the-top characters here, but Dakin, Dakin is just... Yeah, it's a, bit, it's a bit much. It's a bit much. Back to Andrew. He says, Since all the Wave 2 books are now out, and I'm reading them all, except for Wolverine, here are my power rankings so far. For the Dawn of X, number of Wave 2 number 1s, he ranks X-Factor as the best, followed by Cable, then Hellions, and then Wolverine, because he didn't read it. For the number twos, Cable comes in first, followed by Hellions, and then X-Factor, and then Wolverine, because he didn't read it. And uh, we're not too far off there, if I'm remembering right anyway. Um, the first, the number ones here were uh, outside of Wolverine, because that was a really, really, eh, read. Very, very strong outings. Uh, X-Factor was a great issue. Cable was just amazing. Hellions was great fun. Wolverine was okay. Um... <laughs> For the second one, Cable maintained, just just killed it. Uh, Duggan and Noto are just, they're a hell of a team. Just amazing work on Cable, which, massive shock. <laughs> um, now, Andrew continues, Hellions is the only book that I'm actually buying, and not just reading on Marvel Unlimited, but in hindsight, it seems like Cable is the book I gladly give space in my long boxes to. That's a huge surprise to me, and if not for your show and this great community, I never would have given it a chance. Well, that's that's what it's all about. Uh, we we learned that together, <laughs> Cable, because I would have to assume here from the feedback I've gotten that a lot of the uh, prolific commenters to the show didn't pick up Cable when it came out, and were maybe only experiencing it the first time through the show or reading along with the show, and boy. What, what a special book that is. It's, man, really, really good. And that, that, that book actually brought us to this book that we discussed today, The Deadpool Issue, which, in case you didn't hear it a few minutes ago, I was gushing over this thing. This thing is going to actually add a book to my pull list, which is unthinkable. So we owe Cable a lot, or I owe Cable a lot. So really, really good stuff. Andrew wraps up with, so until X-Factor discovers the Twitch sword for X of Tens, make mine X-Labs. Well, thank you. <laughs> Let's hope they don't. Let's hope they don't. I, I am I'm wondering what these swords are going to be. I'm still... It's so weird that this, that X of Tens is over, right? In, the real, in real time, it's over. I still don't know the first thing about it. I've really done... You know, not to pat myself on the back, but I've done a really good job of keeping myself as ignorant as possible. Which doesn't sound like something to brag about, but in this case, I guess we'll we'll go with it. Um, but that's where we'll leave it for today. If anybody would like to get a hold of me, I'm an easy guy to find. You can find me on Twitter, at Ace Comics. Or you can send me an email at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. Also, xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can talk to us about... Whatever you like, your Deadpool history, uh, this Deadpool issue, Cable, Dawn of X Wave 2, Dawn of X Wave 1, anything you want over on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. 
And you can hear anything you'd like from the Chris and Reggie audio archives over at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Alrighty, that's where we'll put a pin in it for today. Uh, just one giant thank you to everyone for deciding to share your time with me today. It really, really means a lot. And uh, here's to uh, the next hundred, I guess, right? <laughs> uh, well, one day at a time. <laughs> one day at a time. Uh, speaking of time, we are almost at an hour here, so I've wasted enough of your day. So I will let you all get back to real life. And as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya. <laughs>